Why don't you turn to Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 through 11. Matthew chapter 4, 1 through 11, the message is entitled, The Temptation of Jesus. We want to look at the temptation of Jesus and learn some important truths for us as believers. The reason Jesus had to be tempted was to demonstrate that the first Adam didn't have to fail. And that the last Adam would not fail. 1 Corinthians 15, 45 and 47 gives you the first and the last Adam. Two important titles. Okay? Last Adam, never call him the second. If you call him the second, there's a possibility for the third, fourth, fifth. First and last, Adams. Now, there's the first and second man, but the first and last Adam. Very important. Now, as you look at the gospel, the weapons of Jesus were prayer, obedience, and um, the filling of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God constantly. And through the temptations, we'll see the premiums on the Word of God, being filled with the Spirit of God already. Jesus came as the last Adam, identical to the first Adam, prior to the fall. Two federal heads. Listen to me carefully. He came identical to the first Adam, prior to the fall. If they weren't identical, there was no true, legitimate test and comparison. Keep that in mind. Luke gives us the genealogy of Mary, descending, remember, back to Adam. It's a descension. The Son of God, it says, because Jesus was just like Adam prior to the fall. Luke 3.38, very key. Jesus defeated Satan by depending on the Father completely at all times. Listen to John. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but of the world. 1 John 2.16. Those are the three eye gates. Everything comes through our lives for every person ever born here. The body, the lust of the flesh, the physical, the soul, the lust of the eye, the intellect, emotion, and the will, and the spirit, the pride of life, the spiritual. And so the major um, temptations of Jesus are in a little different order. There are three here, which fall into these three distinct categories. Let me read verse 1 through 11 of chapter 4. Then Jesus um, was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterwards he was hungry. Now, when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command these um, things, these stones, to become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. And again the devil took him up into exceeding high mountain, and showed him all the kings of the world in their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give to you if you fall down to worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. The three major temptations, three distinct categories. First, we have the body, the lust of the flesh, in verse 1 through 4. Second, we have the spirit, the pride of life. Verse 5 through 7. And thirdly, the soul, the lust of the eye. Verse 8 through 11. 
The first temptation of the body, the lust of the eye. Luke has the same order on the first one. Look at verse 1 and 2. The preparation of Jesus for the temptation is given to us here. Jesus was completely subject and obedient to God. Listen to his words. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit. The time is indicated by the word then. At that time, literally. What time? After the baptism of Jesus by John. Chapter 3, verse 16 to 17. It looks back to it. All three synoptic gospels record the heavens open up. The origin of the Holy Spirit. But only Luke says Jesus was filled with the Spirit in Luke 3, 22. All three record the Father's voice, You are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Luke 3, 22. Mark 1, 10, 11. And here. Notice God's sign to John. You remember in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 33. It was that on the one who the Spirit descended on and remained, he was the one to baptize with the Holy Spirit. John doesn't deal with the temptation because he presents Jesus as God and God can't be tempted. So we only have Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And Luke just gives two verses, omits all three. Matthew and, and uh, Luke give all three temptations. Now notice the geographical change is also given to us by the phrase, let up. The Greek word simply means to bring into a higher place. The indication is from the lower parts of the Jordan Valley where they were baptizing. Now, to the higher ground of the wilderness area. In fact, Mark says, immediately the Spirit drove him, literally to throw him out into the wilderness. He was driven by the Spirit of God for this purpose, the testing. The indicative error is passive, indicates Jesus was led during the entire time, as well as the willingness of Jesus to do the will of God. Totally submissive. Notice the leading was by the Spirit, Numa, the third person of the Trinity. The Son had come from heaven. The Father spoke from heaven. The Spirit descended from heaven. All three persons of the Trinity. Look at verse 1. The purpose of the Spirit taking Jesus to higher ground was to be tempted by the devil. The word tempted means to test or to try. In the infinitive, error is passive. The infinitive denotes the purpose the error's completeness, tested to the finish, to the ultimate end. The indication being that the temptation continued during the entire time Jesus was led prior to the three temptations. In other words, there were many temptations during those 40 days that were not given any detail about. The tempter is identified as the devil. If you know Spanish, it's the word diablos, the devil. It means slander, false accuser. Luke uses the same thing in Luke 4, 2. Mark uses Satan, Satanas, meaning adversary in Mark 1, 13. Look at verse 2. The extreme condition prior to the three main temptations is given to us. <clears throat> Jesus was under a lengthy fast here of 40 days and nights. Forty is the number of judgment. The rain, 40 days, 40 nights. Uh, Moses up in the mountain. Elijah, 40 days. Uh, here we have 40 again. The fast is a, a principle or a participle in the era's active, they tell us in the Greek. A durative present. He fasted the 40 days during all the temptations of, of the devil 
prior to the main ones. Um, no food. You can go without food maybe um, eight weeks tops. Water, one week at the most. Okay? So any complete fast is a miracle to be done. This is Now remember, Jesus is just like the first Adam before the fall. So his body is different than ours who is after the fall. All right? So keep that in mind. Now, the first temptation by the devil was that all Jesus needed was to meet his physical need. Nothing else matters. The lust of the flesh. Verse 3 and 4. Just like Eve, the woman saw that the tree was good for food, appealing to the body senses to captivate her. Genesis 3, 6. Notice the devil appeared to Jesus at this time. Now when the tempter came to him, the Greek scholar um, Lenski says, the circumstantial participle is temporal. Not until this time did the tempter appear in person. Hmm. There are many temptations prior to this. We're not told how the devil tempted Jesus prior to these three main ones. All three synoptic gospels admit, omit all information about that. But the Greek is very clear in the synoptics that he was tempted for 40 days. So the devil spoke to Jesus and he said, if you are the son of God. Now, some say this was only in the mind of Jesus or a vision. Not so. The entire account is literal. Mark and Luke are the same. Literal. Two times the devil addresses Jesus by the phrase, if you are the son of God. The word if in context means since you are the son of God. The devil was affirming Jesus was the son of God, not doubting or questioning it. He's affirming it. We're going to see he's trying to have him defeat him as God, not as man, the last Adam. Okay? The devil was attempting to get Jesus to do a miracle as God to meet his own physical need. Commanded these stones become bread. In verse 3. You see the devil gave the Jesus an order here. This is not a suggestion. It's an imperative command. The devil attempted to tempt Jesus that he might fail and nullify the plan of redemption as the last Adam. There was nothing wrong with Jesus eating bread. It was legitimate, but not at this particular time. He was driven by the Spirit for the purpose of the temptation. The temptation was not to trust his dependence on his father, but self. The temptation was to act like Eve concerning with uh, the physical here to satisfy her need while possessing a spirit and be one with God, proving to be a false son. If Jesus would have done what Satan suggested, then Jesus would have proved to be a false son, not a true son. 
Notice the response of Jesus was that he was going to trust and depend on God. Verse 4. Jesus, the last Adam, pointed to the authority over his life, God's word. But he answered and said, it is written. Grapho. We get the word graphite from it. Right over the pencil. It refers to the scripture of the Old Testament in a perfect tense, indicating once written, now stands forever. I like that. The word never changes. The ultimate authority. The quotation is from Deuteronomy. Listen to it. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and to test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep the commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowing you to hunger and, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man should not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord Yahweh. Deuteronomy 8, verse 2 and 3. Now notice Jesus, the last Adam, pointed to the priority of his life. Man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The phrase shall not live is the indicative future middle voice to express the divine will of God by the individual person to not value bread more than God's word. The middle voice always speaks of the individual having to do it. You have to be the doer of it. Nobody can do it for you. The priority is the word of God. That's the authority. The word for word is rima. You have the logos and the rima. In the positive confession movement, a lot of them made a big distinction between rima, the spoken word, and the logos. Okay? There's no distinction. No Greek scholar would ever agree with that. Okay? They're talking about power, you know, not confessing things negative. Here, the word rima is the spoken word of God by God himself. In Luke... 4-4, same thing. The priority given to Adam was obedience to the word of God by permitting Adam to eat of every tree freely, but the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they were not to do so. For the day they did so, they would surely die in Genesis 2, 16 and 17. God spoke directly to Adam and Eve. They didn't obey. Now, you remember a parable Jesus gave it illustrates this first temptation clearly. He says the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul. You have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. Luke twelve sixteen through 21. Nothing wrong with the bread, nothing wrong with the house, nothing wrong with the job. But it's the attitude and the priority and the importance we put on it. It happens to many Christians. They forget this. 
Now the contrast between the temptation of Adam and Eve and the ones Jesus went through are important. Jesus was being tempted for 40 days when the three major ones came, Luke and Matthew tell us. Adam and Eve had only one temptation. Jesus was with the wild beast, Mark 1.13 tells us. Adam and Eve were in the garden with the tame animals. Matthew and Luke both tell us that Jesus fasted 40 days and nights. Adam and Eve did not. We know Moses and Elijah did. Though we can see that both temptations were identical in body, soul, and spirit. We can also see that the circumstance of the last Adam, Jesus, were not as favorable and more severe for him, much more than Adam and Eve. The book of Hebrews tells us how Jesus can be our high priest and the extent of his temptation. In Hebrews 4.15, the question of how Jesus can be our high priest is answered. He says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Jesus can identify with my my temptations and my weaknesses and yours. Each of us are different. What may be a temptation to you may not be to me. Jesus understands the constant struggle and the intense warfare that you and I go through. Others may not, but Jesus always will. The question of the extent of Jesus being tempted is answered also in the second part of Hebrews 4.15. It says, was in all points tempted as we are. Here's the important part. Yet without sin. In every area, level, and way, and manner of temptation that man can and will ever be tempted, Jesus was tempted. No one will ever be able to say, Jesus, you don't know what it is to be poor. He said, anybody have a coin so I can just talk about taxes? No one will ever say, you don't understand when everybody turns their back on you. Every point is we are, yet without sin. That's why he's our faithful high priest. There is no sin in being tempted, only in giving in to the temptation. Therefore, we are to come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help In time of need, Hebrews 4.16 says, What a privilege we have. What a great help. Jesus is able to sympathize with with us as our high priest because he understands our weaknesses. And Jesus is able to help each of us in our weaknesses as we depend upon him. The first temptation of Jesus dealt with the body, the lust of the flesh. Secondly, we have the temptation of the spirit, verse 5 through 7. Genesis 3, 6 says, A tree too desirable to make one wise, to exalt oneself to be as God. In other words, to be presumptuous, the pride of life. Genesis 3, 6. Look at verse 5 of Matthew here. The second temptation of the devil to Jesus was to tempt God. He's incredible. 
Remember, he led the rebellion in heaven, right? The scene again is literal, not a vision, not mental. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple. So the devil took the lead and brought Jesus to the holy city. The holy city is called holy because God chose the city to be his own. Luke says, Luke and Matthew compare them. One says holy city, the other one says Jerusalem. Same thing. The second temptation here is the third for Luke. They reverse. Why, we don't know. Mark omits all three temptations. He just tells that he was driven into the wilderness to be tempted. Now notice the particular location is twofold. The temple, Herion is the word, refers to the entire temple area with all its buildings and its courts. The pinnacle means the wing of the temple. The article indicates a very specific place. Some say it's the royal porch on the south wall. Others, the east wall along Solomon's porch over the Kidron Valley, four to 600 feet um, uh, drop there. That's probably most likely, but either way, it's a very specific area. And notice the temptation was presented to Jesus and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. Once again, by the same statement, if you are the son of God, this again affirms since Jesus was the son of God, not doubting that the devil again wanted to throw Jesus out and draw him out to deal with these temptations by deity as God, which would have been no problem. The test is as the last Adam. But Jesus did not. He overcame the devil as man, the last Adam, depending on God, unlike the first Adam who disobeyed and didn't depend on God. Yet Jesus was identical to the first Adam, the second man. Identical. Notice the devil was tempting Jesus to tempt God, as we said, throw yourself down. Luke adds, from here. The devil suggested that if he willfully put himself in danger, God would protect and rescue him. A lie. Now, sometimes people say they're Christians and they do things like this, either because they're ignorant of God's word or they're not Christians. Uh, years ago, in the, maybe around the 90s, when all this positive confession and that everybody has to be healed, there were some parents who held some insulin from their child saying that God was going to heal him and he died. Okay? That's tempting God. If you believe God has healed your child, you take him to the doctor. If the doctor says he's healed, then you take him off the insulin to the doctor. You understand? Not the reverse. This is all contrary to the plan of God that he's suggesting. God's plan was the cross. Satan always wants you and I to take a shortcut. Shortcuts lead you to dead ends. And sometimes you can't turn around. The basis of the devil's suggestion is backed up by Scripture now. Listen. The devil mimicked Jesus using God's word as his support. 
For it is written. Jesus repeats this word in verse 4, 7, and 10. The devil used scripture out of context to have it say something it does not say. To make it say what he wants it to say. Deceivers always do that in ignorant people who don't study God's word. Out of context. The quote is Psalm Psalm 91 verse 11 and 12. The devil quoted the Psalms omitting a few words. Listen. He shall give his angels charge over you. Hear the words he omits. To keep you in all your ways. And he just goes right to, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. The psalm is a promise to every child of God for divine protection. As they walk with God, trusting him, not tempting him. That's why he omits to keep you in all your ways. I wouldn't suggest that you walk across the freeway with your eyes closed. Or Colorado. That's tempting God. The devil used the psalm out of context to get Jesus to prove that he trusted God by casting himself off. Which would in fact prove Jesus was tempting God by willfully putting himself at risk and danger. We are not to do that. The quote was false. Yet Jesus did not correct the devil. Question, does that mean that it was true? No. All the words of the devil are false here. Some people use this argument, and we'll see it more clearly in the third one. Sometimes when somebody says something so stupid, you don't correct them, you just go like this. And you walk away. That's a bigger rebuke. That's what Jesus did. Never assume because someone doesn't correct somebody that what they said, the other person said is true. Certainly not Satan. Look at verse 7. The response of Jesus exposed the devil for what he was, a liar and a deceiver. Jesus again depends on the word of God against the devil. Jesus said to him, it is written again. Luke says, and Jesus answered and said to him, it has been said, Luke 4.12. The devil used scripture In contradiction, Jesus used scripture to interpret scripture revealing what God's word does, not contradicting itself. He used the word to show what it means, not what it doesn't mean. Notice Jesus exposed the devil's intent. You shall not tempt the Lord your God. The quote is from Deuteronomy again. Second time, Deuteronomy 6.16. The context is when the people tempted and contended with God to uh, furnish them water at Massa and Meribah. Tempting God. They said, is the Lord among us not? Exodus 17.7. They should have been depending and trusting in God throughout the wilderness. They did not. Jesus is... In the wilderness, depending and trusting God, the Father. Remember, Matthew reverses the order of the second and third temptation from Luke's order. 
We don't know why. Luke records um, Jesus victorious after this temptation, which is the reverse. It says, which place is the third now? He says, now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Luke 4.13. Some have said that Matthew gives a historical account while Luke arranges them in a climactic order. I give it to you. I don't know. The order that is given by one, the other demonstrates that they weren't copying each other, but they've arranged their material in a way with the purpose of the book, what God is trying to reveal. I don't know if some of you remember, but Oral Roberts in 1975 said that God was going to take his life if he did not raise $8 million above the ministry expenses and that he was going to go up to his tower to pray. Well, my, 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 said the spider to the fly. (laughs) He didn't raise it. Sometimes men become presumptuous, arrogantly pride, proudful because of what all God has done, and they start thinking it's because of them, or they have some special line to God. And they're tempting God. The first reason Jesus had to be tempted was to demonstrate that the first Adam did not have to fail clearly. First Corinthians fifteen forty five the first Adam was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. He regenerates us. Adam was created in the state of innocence with a free will. He was given direct commands. He had the capacity to obey or disobey. The consequences affected the entire human race. Romans 5.12, sin entered in by one man and death by sin passed to all men. Jesus is called the last Adam in contrast to the first Adam. Never call Jesus the second Adam, as I said earlier. Jesus is always called the last Adam. Jesus was like the first Adam prior to the fall. The first man is of the earth. The second man is the Lord from heaven. 1 Corinthians 15, 47. The first man, Adam, was in a state of innocence with a free will before the fall. The second man, Jesus, who is the last Adam, is just like the first Adam with a free will. To compare equals, they must be identical. You get two apples from the same tree. They're identical. They come from the same tree. But they're not identical in size or anything else if you start getting specific. Jesus had to be identical in every way to the first Adam before the fall. For the victory to be genuine and true. The second reason Jesus had to be tempted was to show us that we too can overcome and resist Satan and his emissaries in temptations who can transform themselves into angels of light, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians eleven, fourteen and 15. As Jesus defeated Satan in the wilderness, it reveals that we have no excuse for failing. Now, 
I am not teaching that we at some point in our life are going to reach perfection or sinlessness. That's not what we're teaching. But what I am teaching is that when you and I fail, we cannot excuse, we cannot justify, we cannot blame anybody but ourselves. Are we clear on that? Okay? We have the potential to be victorious, to not sin. James says we tempt ourselves while God tests us and he gives us some practical advice on James 1, 13 and 14 and then in 4, 7 through 8 the advice comes. Listen, first step, submit yourself therefore to God. First step. The second step, resist the devil. You got to have both. You can't just draw night to God and not resist the devil. The promise to resist the devil and he will flee from you. The third step, draw near to God. The promise, and he will draw near to you. The fourth step, cleanse your hearts, you double-minded. I don't talk to Satan myself. And I and Satan are bad company. I'm not good company for me. You're not good company for you. Don't talk to yourself. Talk to the Lord. All right? Don't talk to Lou. He's not your friend. We're no match for Satan in our flesh. James puts it this way, James 1.12. Blessed is the man who endures him testing, for when he has been proved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So the motive of depending and trusting God and drawing close to Him really is love. My love for Him. The third reason Jesus had to be tempted was to destroy the works of the devil. 1 John 3, 8. The devil has sinned from the beginning. The entire human race has fallen due to Satan's deception of Adam and Eve. The entire human race has brought on itself Corruption and destruction. Look around us. Look at man's history. Man is not good. He's good for nothing. And by the way, the fall came through Eve, not Adam. But yet Adam was responsible because he's the head, not the tail. He just acted like the tail in the garden instead of the head. All right? Simple. The devil was... um, sought to entice man to sin from the beginning. Here he is fallen already in the garden. Adam and Eve are in a state of innocence. He's evil. Those who put their trust in Jesus are freed no longer being slaves of sin. You came to the Lord. Now you have a divine nature. You're able to say no to sin. You're able to draw close to God. You're able to maintain your fellowship with Him. Whole different from before. Now the fourth reason Jesus had to be tempted was to prove His Messiahship. Um, Jesus said, The ruler of this world comes and He has nothing in me in John fourteen thirty, There was nothing to control Jesus by the hand of Satan. There was nothing that he could accuse Jesus of. There, Jesus faced Satan literally 
face to face, not just in mind or in a vision, but face to face. By the way, he knew him when he was in heaven. The cherub, second to God. The second temptation of Jesus dealt with the spirit, the pride of life. Notice thirdly, verse 8 through 11, the temptation of the soul, the lust of the eye. Genesis 3, 6 says, It was pleasant to the eyes, to allure the lust of the eyes, the window of the soul, if you will. The third temptation by the devil was the offer to be ruler of the world apart from the plan of God. Again, verse 8 and 9. In verse 8, the scene is literal again, not a state of mind with Jesus. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain. The devil is a real person, not a figment of the imagination of Jesus. The temptation and fasting for 40 days were real. The first two temptations were real. What would make us believe the third one is not? And this one involves the intellect, the emotion, and the wills. Now, without the Lord, we, we can't resist that. Our intellect is depraved, our emotions rule us, and our will is the primary focus. When we're with the Lord, now it's God's will. And so we submit all those three to God. The Greek literally reads, the devil leading him up. The devil is directing or leading. Jesus is submitting to the test. Luke omits the word exceedingly for the high mountain. The temptation, notice, was presented to Jesus. And he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. How did the devil do this? Luke adds, in a moment of time, chronos, chronological running time, in an instant, Luke 4, 5. The literal record must be interpreted literally. The devil had the ability to show all the kings of the world in their glory, their splendor, instantly, in an instant, second, whatever it may be. We have to take it literal. Remember, he was second to God, a cherub. Now, notice the declaration of the devil is false again. And he said to him, all these things I will give to you if you will fall down to worship me. Listen to the liar. And he said to him, Luke says, the devil said to him, this temptation is the only one, the only one that the devil did not say, if you are the son of God. Luke confirms this in Luke 4, 6. It's not found. Now, all the words in Scripture are an accurate record of what is said or was said. But not all the words recorded are reliable truths according to God's ultimate truth, objective truth. Good example are the words of Satan to Eve. Surely you will not die the day you eat. They're accurate, reliable words of what was stated, but they're not true. It's a lie. So you have to examine the context. 
The exaggerations of the devil is all these things I will give you. Luke gives us supplementary information. Listen. All this authority I will give to you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whoever I wish. That's a heck of a lot of stuff. The words of the devil in this third temptation of Jesus are false words, lies, not biblical truth according to God's revelation of his objective truth. The devil has limited authority by God with boundaries, not all authority. Therefore, the devil can give a man or a nation some amount of authority and glory, but it is limited and temporal. To say the false words of the devil are true because Jesus did not contest them or correct them is unbiblical. I've already given you the example. How do you know? You judge it to God's word. The devil was implying to Jesus he didn't have to go to the cross to fulfill the plan of God. There are some false assumptions about the fall of Adam and the devil that are taught and accepted as truth. That the fall of Adam forfeited the earth to Satan. Show me one verse. The earth belongs to God. Not to Satan. Interesting. Nowhere is this stated by God that he gave the world to Satan as it is commonly taught. It's not true. Yes, Satan now is the ruler, the god of this world, the prince and the power of the air. But he is so as a rebel and usurper, not as the rightful owner and its unlimited power. Is that clear? Jesus will redeem believers and the earth. The devil's claim that Jesus is false. That Jesus did not dispute it does not make the claim true as some interpret it. And there's some godly men that, that, that teach the other way. I, I reject it. It's, it's not true. It's false. Notice the condition to be ruler of the world presented to Jesus by the devil. If you will fall down and worship me. The appeal was to the human nature of Jesus, the last Adam, just like the first Adam. The word worship, proskuneo, means to prostrate oneself in obeisance, kneeling before someone greater than you, reverent. But the devil was not God. Luke says, before me, in Luke 4, 7. The error subjunctive indicates one single act. Well, that would violate the first commandment. Right off the bat. Luke gives us the false promise of the devil. All will be yours. Luke 4.7 This is the same offer he gave to Eve. You shall be as God's small g. Genesis 3.5 The outcome would have been like that of Adam and Eve to become a slave of the devil. Not a God. 
Hmm. You cannot serve two masters. You will love the one and hate the other, Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24. The devil was protecting his limited ruling power, knowing that by Jesus doing it by God's plan, he would dethrone Satan ultimately. And at the cross, he knocked all his teeth out. He destroyed him with the power of death. He opened up the prison gates to those who were captive. Look at verse 10 and 11. The response of Jesus exposed the devil for what he is, a liar and a deceiver. The appalling suggestion was rebuked by Jesus. Away with you, Satan. Jesus responded by ordering the devil to depart from him. Away with you, Satan. These are strong words and imperative command repulsed by the offer. Luke says, and Jesus answered and said to him, get behind me, Satan, Luke 4, 8. You remember Jesus told that to Peter? Right after the great thing, you're the Christ, the living God. And then he says, you're not going to jail to Jerusalem to die. Get behind me, Satan. Woo. Here you have a lightning bit of knowledge from God and you're sensitive. And all of a sudden now you can't discern between God speaking to your Satan, Peter. Hmm. Jesus did not converse with the devil in any of the three temptations as Eve, but only resorted to God's word. He's already filled with the Spirit. He's using God's word. Luke is the only one to tell us he was praying when he was baptized. Jesus addressed him as Satan, Satanás, adversary, one who opposes. The devil is the enemy of God and man. He's not your friend. He's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Peter tells us. The appropriate quotation was declared by Jesus, notice, stating the biblical truth about worship. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Again, Jesus uses the expression of the scriptures. It is written. He quoted Deuteronomy regarding idolatry. Worship leads to service, belonging only to God. Deuteronomy 6.13 Again, worship proskuneo, the reverencing, the bowing the knee, the face to the, before someone in adoration. Jesus did this as a man, the second man, the last Adam, not by his deity as God. The victory and the victorious indication here by Jesus was verified. Listen to his words. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Verse 11. Jesus defeated the devil in all temptations during the 40 days and the three major ones. And the devil left him. Luke says, now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until a more opportune time. Luke 4.12. Satan will always come back. He's never going to give up. He's like a Jehovah Witness. He just keeps coming back. <laughs> the devil did not stop opposing or attacking Jesus. All the way to the cross, even in the garden, trying to keep him from going there. Wow. Jesus defeated Satan as the second man, the last Adam, depending on the father as man. To give us the example and the footsteps. 
Jesus demonstrated that the first Adam did not have to fail, but chose to fail by not depending on God. Jesus was visited by the angels then. The whole angels came and ministered to him. The word minister is diaconio. We get our word deacon from those who serve you as you come here. They're serving all around the usher in the parking lot and doing works around here. Angels are ministering spirits of the earth of salvation. They're servants of God. Paul illustrates this last point vividly. Listen carefully. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man and being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. That's what he did as the last Adam. The objection by some to Jesus having resisted the temptations is that he did it as God again, not man. That's wrong. Remember, Jesus is the last Adam, and I'm doing purposely that he's the last Adam, last Adam over and over again. He's the last Adam with the second man, just like the first Adam, who was the first man. Jesus came to undo the mess that the first Adam got us into. The important question is who was tempted, the Son of God or the Son of Man? Jesus had two natures, human and divine, yet without sin. He's not like us. He's before the fall. He's just like Adam, okay? The Son of God speaks of his deity. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, as we've seen. He knew no sin, but yet he was made sin for us. He didn't. Not only no sin, but he was neither found with guile in his mouth. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. In him was no sin at all. God cannot be tempted with evil. Jesus was holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. Hebrews 7.26 tells us. You see, the Son of Man speaks of his humanity as a man. Both Matthew and Luke tell us that the appeal was to the Son of God, repeatedly, two times, two of the three temptations. The repeated phrase, if you are the Son of God, affirming. Satan was attempting to get Jesus to defeat him as God to void the plan of redemption. For God to resist and defeat Satan is no big deal. He's all-powerful. He's a creator. Satan's just a cherub. Yet Jesus answered, Man should not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Man. To show that the first Adam did not have to fail, and Jesus, the last Adam, would not fail, revealing a believer does not have to fail. But we choose to fail. There is no sin in being tempted, only in giving in to the temptation. Some Christians think they are evil because they have bad thoughts. No, you have bad thoughts because you're evil. That's a better one. Before you have those thoughts, you're evil. The heart's deceitfully wicked. 
It has been said that you cannot stop birds from flying over your head, but you can certainly stop them from building a nest on it, right? You bring your thoughts into captivity. You resist. No temptation has overcome you such except it's common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. I love that verse, and I hate that verse. I love it because it guarantees me that God will be faithful to me. I hate it because when I don't depend on God, it's all my fault, the failure. The fact that the Son of Man was the one who was tempted leads us to one very important question that must be asked. That at first might sound kind of blasphemous. Could the Son of Man, as the last Adam, have failed as the first Adam? Remember, he was identical to the first Adam without sin nature prior to the fall. First, Jesus could not have sinned or he could not have been our Redeemer. He had no sin nature. Second, if Jesus could not have been tempted, he would not have been man like the first Adam and certainly couldn't be our representative. Both of these seem to be contradictory, irreconcilable truths, but they are not. God says he predestined us, and then he tells us to choose to be saved. I can give you hundreds of seeming contradictions, yet they're absolutely objective, reliable truths. Was the temptation true and legitimate? The genuineness of the temptation is in the possibility of failure. Otherwise, if there was no possibility of failure, then there could not have been a real temptation for Jesus. No one is awarded first place when there's no possibility of second and third or fourth. The temptation of Jesus was just like the one to Adam. Otherwise, it would be not equal in test. And God has deceived us. The divine nature did not partake in the temptation. He did it as the last Adam. Therefore, Jesus, our Lord, was both not able to sin and able not to sin. You and I are able to sin and able not to sin as a Christian by the new divine nature. Yet, we will never be sinless. We will never be perfect. Jesus was sinless in the innocent state as the first Adam. Therefore, the testing and suffering Jesus experienced being without sin, were greater than any we will ever experience as sinners. Only when you resist to the end does that person fully know and experience the full power of that temptation. Just as God knew that the first Adam would fail, God the Father knew the last Adam would not fail. The angels came and ministered unto him, not before. Let God be true and every man a liar. Wow. The third temptation of Jesus dealt with the soul, the lust of the eye, 
Aren't you glad Jesus did it? Man. Three major temptations of Jesus fall into these three categories. Very important that we understand what took place here. The first temptation of Jesus dealt with the body, the lust of the flesh. The second temptation of Jesus dealt with the spirit, the pride of life. And the third temptation of Jesus dealt with the soul, the lust of the eye. He's given us an example. He left us his footsteps. He was victorious over sin and death. You and I can resist sin, draw nigh to God, and trust Him to be faithful to the end. Lord, thank you for your love, your goodness. We love you. We thank you. We pray that in all things you would uh, deal with our hearts, Lord. Thank you for this text and for your word. And Lord, we lift everybody to you and the radio and the internet and here. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sins. Without Jesus, I would perish. I stand no hope of heaven. I would be eternally separated from God. But Jesus died in my place, tasted death for me. And if I believe that he did that, I can call upon him to forgive me of my sin and to transform my life. He offers you the same thing, wherever you might be, over the internet, the radio, or here. If this is your desire, it's the message of repent, the kingdom of heaven's at hand. Turn around, calling upon God to help you, to forgive you. This is your prayer of repentance if you want to be born again. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.